This is Tort Talk with Terrence A. Gross, a board-certified personal injury lawyer. Welcome back to Tort Talk. I'm so glad you're joining us. We get to talk about all sorts of interesting legal conundrums and quandaries and questions. And I, Paul Stadden, am the questions asker, the person who... Well, knows how to talk, and I have the microphones, and I'm so glad that in my studio every single week, I get to have the person who really knows what they're talking about, the person who is the expert, the one you need to listen to, and that would be Terrence Gross of Gross & Schuster. Welcome, Terrence. Glad to be here. So last week, we were talking about coming up with a case value. Uh, Knowing how much a case is worth, you mentioned maybe one person would have injuries that resulted in $8,000 worth of legal bills, another... or medical bills, another one with $42,000 worth. How do you determine these kinds of things and how much do you determine how much a person gets? Now, at the end of that episode, I asked you about inconclusive evidence, evidence that can point two different directions and can be used by either side to build their case and how often this happens. So what what do you do when you have pictures or video that both sides can say, no, this supports my claim? Well, and sometimes it goes on even with car damage. So sometimes you can look at the damage to a car on the outside and it doesn't look that bad. Mm. But then underneath where the bumper gets pushed in and the car could be actually totaled mm. or frame damage. So frame mm-hmm. damage, you can't just see frame damage. Right. Once your frame's bent, your, your car's probably totaled, but it may not show to the naked eye. So there's a little bit of that, but you don't see that as much. With dash cams or mm. with uh, pictures where you see what you're asking yeah. all the time is MRIs. Uh, I had a case just several years ago where we ended up having three different radiologists testify, three different neurosurgeons, and none of them agreed on anything. Okay. They're looking at the MRIs because you know radiologists read MRIs, but so do neurosurgeons because they're the ones that have to do the surgery. Of course, they can read an MRI. And they'll look at that. So Dr. X would look at a C5-6 and say, that is a disc herniation. And the next doctor says, no, 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 no. That's just a large bulge. That's all that is. And the next guy says, no, it's a protrusion. And then one guy says, well, that looks pre-existing." And the other goes, no, no, it's acute because it's doing this, this, and this. It's recent. And I'm t- and the jury's in there like, what? I mean, okay. it, and, and I can read the reports. Like when they get the reports... I can read a report, explain it very well, but I can't read a film. So if I can't read a film with all the films I've looked at as a layperson with no medical training, when we start showing these films around to the jury, you know, we could blow them up and maybe there's a dark area or maybe there's a little something, but the jury's like, what? I mean, you know, because they're not into it you know they're not radiologists right but these all these guys have great you know education they're medical doctors they're board certified and they were trained here and trained there and did you know the residency here and and then they testify with confidence and they can't agree on the time of day so it's it's so weird (laughs) um uh so that's a very good question you asked but that's part of the case too and sometimes it's pretty clear. So, for instance, I'll give you a good example. So, okay. say I'm representing, I am right now, I'm representing two young men that were in a car wreck in Alabama. They both have low back disc herniations, and they're like in their early 20s. When well, you're early 20s, you don't have any degeneration. Right. So, when you saw the MRIs, clean, 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 oops, disc herniation, well, then <laughs> uh. we got you. So, there's no other explanation other than the car wreck, but then you'd get someone my age, and if we did an MRI of everybody 60 years old in America, 
it's going to come back abnormal, whether you've ever had back pain or not, because our discs are degenerating. We're getting bone spurs. Bulging comes with age. So a lot of these things, <clears throat> you know, are already there. You just don't know. And then they get activated. Now, they can be accentuated. And every now and then, I'll get a radiologist. And what it'll say, I see an acute on chronic process. That means I see something long-standing like a bone spur. And popping out of that bone spur is a disc herniation, mm. which, which looks to me to be recent. But then another radiologist oh. will disagree. So it becomes the war of the experts uh, so these are part of the cases. So it just doesn't make it a slam dunk because yeah. I think I talked about breaking uh, one's arm in the last show. Well, if, if you broke your arm and fractured it and went to the ER and had an x-ray and every doctor in America looked at that, they're going to say, that's a broken arm. Right. That's a broken arm. I, I would hope there would be no argument. But when you get to these MRI disc interpretations and findings, there is a world of debate. And then... Some of them just they they use different nomenclature. So some of them, what the look is, say that's a protrusion, and those says no, 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 that's a herniation. And another guy said no, 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 it's a large bulge, and it could be semantics, hmm. uh, you know, but, but whatever. And they're all adamant that they're correct, and they've read the most recent literature on the subject, and you know, and whatever. So yeah, that that but that gets a little convoluted. Um, mm -hmm. So you certainly a younger person with a very clean spine and one disc herniation. That's a much easier case for me to prove that it's from the accident from trauma. Okay. Well, you know, speaking of speaking of the cases and the and the victims. So does it matter to the case and the evaluation who the victim? is like I, i'm i'm curious because you know you have to see this from the standpoint of defense and how do you how important that is that to the case you know makes a big difference makes a tremendous difference um years ago i was representing a a gentleman that um as a young man was in trouble all the time and he'd done like 20 years in state prison which is a long time to do for multiple wow. felonies right well, in Florida, if you go to trial in Florida, they can't really ask you about was it armed robbery or whatever, but they can ask you, have you ever been convicted of a felony how many times? And this mm. guy had about a dozen felony convictions. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get ready to settle his case, and I bring this up, and he went off on me. I mean, it <laughs> went off of me. So okay. I pay my time. I serve my time. I'm out. <laughs> that is not relevant. I said, well, sir, unfortunately, you're not the judge, and the judge is going to follow rules of evidence and procedure, and under rules of evidence, they are allowed to ask you, have you ever been convicted of a felony, and how many times? And a lot of juries, if they hear you've got 12 felony convictions, they may not uh, be thinking you're the most honest, truthful person in the world. So it is part of the case, whether you like it or not. And he got so mad at me <clears throat> that I finally said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you get a second opinion. Here's Mr. Schuster. And Schuster ended up representing and settling. And Charlie probably didn't make it as big a deal as I did. Right. And ended up settling with the guy. But in the back of his mind, Charlie knew I was right. Uh -huh. But he just, you know, you know, was was a little softer uh, about the subject. Mm. So at the end of the day, let me tell you real quick, because I, I can give you the best scenario and usually my stories, a lot of people have commented on these podcasts, how they like my true life stories. So I'm going to tell you, I had two different cases, and I'm going to tell you some common denominators. Mm. First, I was their lawyer. Mm. Both ladies were in their 40s. 
Both ladies had accidents about the same time, but these are separate accidents now. They, these ladies had nothing in common other than they chose the same lawyer, had accidents about the same time, and the defendants, separate defendants that were driving, both had State Farm with 50,000 limits. So that was the common denominator. Other than that, the ladies had you know nothing in common. So lady number one, we're, we can't settle her case. We, I demanded the 50 on each. I can't settle either. So I had to file suit on each. And because it was both State Farm, it shouldn't surprise you that State Farm got the same lawyer. So it's I'm representing both these ladies, but State Farm had one lawyer on, you know, against me on two different claims, you know, totally separate cases, but their cases were running along about the same time and for the same amount of money, 50000 was what we're fighting over. So lady one... I told her that this lawyer was very persnickety, <laughs> uh, good lawyer, but he liked to really drill you at the deposition. Mm. I mean, he okay. cross-examined. It wasn't a fun uh, deposition. It's kind of like getting a root canal, really. Ooh. So lady number one was a local business person here in Pensacola, very tough, type A, very sure of herself, college-educated. So he tried to push her around. It wasn't happening. She pushed back, <laughs> and he tried to twist her words. And she says, that's not what I said, sir. I said X, Y, Z. Right. And and this went on, and she just gave a great deposition. And every time he tried to muddy the water or push her in a dirt, it didn't work. Everything he tried backfired. Hmm. And within weeks, he paid me the 50,000 limits, as I should have. Lady number two was a very, very nice lady. She lived in Milton. She lived in a trailer, had no kids, didn't work, was a homemaker in this trailer, but she was um, introverted. Okay. She was a yeah. mouse. She was very honest, very sweet, very injured, but just scared of her own shadow. So I tried to prepare for this deposition, and we t were taking the deposition before a court reporter, her, the other lawyer, of course, and her husband was in the room watching. Mm. So as the deposition progresses you could see she is trying to avoid confrontation hmm. and finally he's beating her up and she starts agreeing with him so uh -huh. isn't true this is possible isn't it true that maybe your neck or back pain maybe wasn't caused by the accident it was maybe you're just getting old or wherever it was she right. started agreeing all this stuff okay right so she's you know whatever by the end of the deposition he could have asked her isn't it true you are an axe murderer i think she probably would have said yes <laughs> just to avoid confrontation man so after the deposition she looks at me with her soft eyes and goes how did i do mr gross uh -huh. i said uh ma'am you didn't do very well and i start to try to tell her i'm a little worried that her husband's gonna beat me up you know and her husband chimed in Mr. Gross is right. You didn't do this. You said this. You said this. And he mirrored everything I was saying because he saw it all go down. Right. And she goes, well, maybe I, I'll do better if we go to court. I said, ma'am, there was no judge or jury here. You were in a quiet room. It's going to be the same lawyer. And now you've got a court-reported uh, sworn testimony where you've already said this stuff. You can't unring a bell. And so we, we were forced to take 25000 on the case, even uh, though on paper, on paper, her case was worth the same 50000 that the other lady's case was worth. But the other lady made a great witness, and unfortunately, this uh, person didn't. So you can oh, prepare a witness all you want, and but it comes down to the personality sometimes. It, 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 and, and there's the old thing you learn in law school, but it's called the worthy plaintiff. 
And, and mm. sometimes it, it should be more than that. But some people are just articulate. I've had people, I had a guy gave a deposition yesterday, dropped out of school in the 10th grade and mm-hmm. was a self-taught electrician, gave a great deposition. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. an honest, every answer. He had all these injuries, broken ribs and whatever. He says, no, the ribs are better. My lung's better. Uh, my wrist, which was, was sprung, is better. Everything's better, but my low back is killing me. Mm-hmm. And he just he just oozed with credibility. Oh. Uh, and, and, and so I've had people that were college educated that didn't make good witnesses. So you just never know. Right, right. Well... I think that's a fascinating thing. We've talked before about you know, witnesses and preparing witnesses in previous episodes. I'm interested in the next episode talking about a case valuations and the nature and extent of damage of the vehicles and how that plays into how much people get. But, well, we're going to have to save that for next time. So how can people get a hold of you, Terrence? 850-434-3333 or visit us on the web at Schuster. Don't forget to listen to the previous episodes and make sure you stick around for the next week's episode. You know what you can do is you can just subscribe to this podcast and download it and listen to it every single week. In fact, just go ahead and do that right now while I'm saying this. In the meantime, Terrence, thank you so much for being here. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.